Now, I don't know how awake, how alert everybody is this morning, but for those of you who have really been paying attention thus far, did you notice that our Old Testament lesson from Malachi and our gospel lesson from Matthew had something in common? I see a few people nodding. Um, so both of these lessons deal with the issue of money, specifically giving money, giving money as in tithes and offerings and as in paying taxes. Now, for some people, giving money to the church and giving money to the government isn't that different. They hate doing either. After all, whether we're contributing to the church or paying taxes to the government, it means funds are leaving our personal accounts. And that might cause us a sense of loss, anxiety, or even anger, especially if we are getting concerned about not having enough money ourselves, or we just don't like the idea of other people with their hands on our money. On the other hand, there's a big difference between contributing to the church and paying taxes. One is voluntary, the other is not. No one is going to arrest you for not tithing, but that could happen if you refuse to pay your taxes. But whether the scriptures are talking about giving to God or paying taxes, what we find in God's word is this central concern for how the use of our money reflects the orientation of our hearts toward God and toward others. So we'll begin by looking at our lesson from Malachi. Malachi is one of the lesser-known prophets. His book is at the very end of the Old Testament. Malachi lived about a century after a remnant of the Jews who had been exiled to Babylon returned to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they had rebuilt the city walls. They had rebuilt the temple. And so in Malachi's day, the daily sacrifices of animals were taking place again in the temple. But the people did not sense the Lord's presence there as their ancestors had when the first, the original temple was built. The Lord spoke through Malachi, accusing his priests and his people of dishonoring him through their conduct both in and outside the temple. They showed their lack of faith in him by intermarrying with those who worshiped other gods, by cheating their workers, by oppressing widows and orphans, and as we hear in chapter 3, by robbing God. Through Malachi's words, you can hear the sorrow and the anger of the Lord who has been rejected by his people. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. 
Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So the people of God were showing their lack of love for God by failing to make the right kinds of sacrifices and offerings. In Malachi chapter 1, the Lord calls out the priests for sacrificing blind and lame and sick animals at his altar. Now, Jewish law called for the sacrifice of unblemished animals. In other words, the best of the flock, those with the most value. So even with all the cultural differences and 2,500 years between us and Malachi, we can understand the logic. When a beloved and honored guest visits our home, we don't give them the wobbly chair, the dirty plate, or feed them leftovers that are three days old. No, no matter what our income level, we give them the best that we have, the best seat, a clean plate, the best food we can prepare or buy. This is one way we honor them and we demonstrate our love to them. It's the reason why we use fine linens and silver chalices at our communion table. And we have a whole team of people who are dedicated to keeping all of that clean and polished. It's because it's the Lord's table. And so we want to use our very best to honor him. And so if you're a farmer and your contributions to the Lord come from your own flock, which animals are you going to bring to the temple to sacrifice? Do you choose the sheep with the bad leg or the goat that hasn't been eating very much? Keeping the valued animals for yourself and your family to use or to sell or to eat? Or do you take the healthy, clean, unblemished lamb, the one you could get a really good price for in the marketplace, and lay that on the altar, trusting that the Lord is your provision? Or do you just refuse to sacrifice any animals at all, keeping them all for yourself and your household? Through Malachi, the Lord urges his people to return to him and to begin again to bring their best sacrifices as well as their tithes of what they grow, a tenth of their grains and their produce. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Now, most of us, our lived experience is in an urban context rather than in the fields. But I think the meaning comes across to us. The Lord is saying, I dare you to trust me. Put me to the test. Be generous toward me. 
giving of yourself and your full tithe and see if I don't take care of you and provide for you. It's not as if the Lord needed their lambs, their grains, or their produce. He desired their hearts and their obedience. By giving the full tithe and unblemished sacrifices, they could honor the Lord and demonstrate their faith in him. And they honored their neighbors also because when they did so, they contributed to feeding the priests and the other people who worked at the temple, as well as providing security for the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the strangers. So by honoring the Lord, they benefited their entire community. Now, if we want to fast forward about 500 years to the first century AD, and we visit the same temple in Jerusalem, we would notice it looks quite a bit different. After a massive construction project, the temple in Jerusalem doubled in size, and it looked much more impressive than it did in Malachi's day. In fact, at this point, it was the largest religious sanctuary in the world. There was no longer an issue of people bringing lame or sick animals to be sacrificed in the temple because most people no longer brought their own animals, but instead they brought money with them. They would go to the outermost courtyard of the temple to purchase their sacrifices. And this area was known as the court of the Gentiles. It was the only part of the temple complex that non-Jews were allowed into, the only place where they had to worship. But the court of the Gentiles was not an easy place to worship or pray because it was filled with money changers and with animals and people selling animals deemed suitable for sacrifice. And the money changers could take advantage of the religious pilgrims by charging them unfair rates to purchase shekels so they could pay the temple tax. And the people selling the animals for sacrifice could also charge exorbitant prices because they had a monopoly right there. And so when the Lord told his prophet Malachi to tell the people to pay the full tithe and to offer unblemished altars, unblemished animals at the altar, this was not what he had in mind. And Jesus drove that point home after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus headed to the temple, entered the court of the Gentiles, and in anger drove out the money changers and those selling doves. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Not only had a place dedicated to worship been turned into a market, people were being cheated in God's own temple. It was disgraceful. If sacrificing sick animals dishonored God, how much more was exploiting people financially when they were supposed to be supplying each other with what they needed to worship God? However, the people who ran the temple didn't see it that way. 
They didn't take Jesus's words to heart. Instead, they felt threatened by him. And in the days that followed, the religious elite began testing Jesus, grilling him about many things. And Jesus always had an answer. He told them a story about an owner of a vineyard whose tenants refused to provide him with any produce. These same tenants killed the, the man's servants when he sent them. And when he sent his son to them, they killed his son. He asked his listeners, what do you think the owner of the vineyard would do to those tenants? And they answered, he would kill them and lease the vineyard to other tenants who would give him his produce at harvest time. Jesus made sure they understood the meaning of this parable. He said, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces fruits of the kingdom. Matthew writes that when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the context for our gospel reading today. The chief priests and Pharisees wanting to arrest Jesus. And so they came up with a plan. They would trap Jesus. They would set a trap for him. And they would ask him about paying taxes to Rome. Now, being that the Jews were living under Roman occupation and the tax collectors were notorious for demanding much more money from them than they owed in order to line their own pockets, the people hated paying taxes, probably much more than people today hate paying taxes. They didn't have any say in how their taxes were going to be used, and they did not want to support the government that oppressed them. Some might even argue they had an ethical duty not to pay their taxes in order not to support an evil regime. Now, everybody had seen how passionate Jesus could be when it came to financial exploitation. So how much more might he rail against the evils of Roman taxation? And so the Pharisees and a group of Jews who supported Herod came together to ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? It was a perfect trap. If Jesus said, yes, pay your taxes, then people would see him as a Roman sympathizer. But if Jesus said no, then they would tell Herod and Herod could have him arrested. But Jesus knew exactly what they were up to. He said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for a tax. And so they handed him a coin, a denarius. Jesus said, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. So if the people had hoped 
that Jesus was going to give them an excuse not to pay their taxes. They must have been disappointed. But he made it clear that their primary allegiance was not to the emperor, but to God. Just as being a Jew did not relieve them from paying taxes to Rome, being under Roman occupation did not relieve them of their duties to the Lord. Michael Green, noting that the Greek verb we translate give actually has a meaning of to give back, suggests in his commentary on Matthew that Jesus's underlying message was this. The coin bears Caesar's image. Give it back to him. You bear God's image. So you give yourself back to him. Jesus's response about paying taxes runs much deeper into questions of how do we rightly order our lives? Who do we belong to? Whose image do we bear? And to whom do we owe our lives? Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus, who never even carried a denarius with him as he traveled from place to place, showed us the generous heart of the Father. Just two days after Jesus amazed the Pharisees with his answers to their tax question, he was in the upper room with his closest disciples. He took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus showed us how to honor God by giving us and God his all, his body, his blood, his righteousness, his life. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the unblemished lamb, unblemished by sin. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It cost him everything to give us freedom from sin, death, hell, and so we could receive resurrection life. So the one who invites us to give gives us his very self. And then he invites us to do the same, to give ourselves away to him so that all that we are and all that we have belong to him. And when we belong to him, we don't have to worry because we're his. He will take care of us. He will provide. Whether we experience wealth, good health and success in this world, or poverty, 
sickness, and failure. He is with us. We don't need to be afraid. When we can trust the Lord with the most important things in our lives, our health, our relationships, money becomes just one more thing that we surrender to him and to his care. In the words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this morning, I'd like to invite you into a prayer of surrender to God. This is a prayer based on the covenant prayer written by the 18th century Anglican priest, John Wesley. So I invite you to pray with me. Oh Lord, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me alongside who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be used by you or laid aside for you. Raised up for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.